Good evening, fellow morons. Uh, it's actually quite good to be saying this myself this week, rather than hearing someone else stealing my lines last <laughs> week. Um, thanks for stepping in uh, and starting the podcast off last week, Daniel. I appreciate that. Now that I can be back and speaking, uh, I'm sure everyone's buzzing to be hearing my voice. They'll have missed it. No? Uh, we never oh, I was, I was hoping a silence there. Oh, I don't know what. <laughs> That's it, I'll fucking <laughs> shit all over myself by adding a silence in to make it out that the <laughs> bastards didn't, didn't miss me at all. Um, you know, as Daniel's pointed out, we were not actually live. I think this is the first ever time that we've recorded without being live. So, yeah, there will probably will be a lot of edits and cuts added in there. So, thanks for listening into the podcast as well. But, guys, I know there was like three of you last week. Uh, I was obviously here and listening at that point. Um, Sean was away gallivanting on one of his many, many holidays that he typically has. Uh, I was suffering with a, an injury, we'll call it. Um, <laughs> an injury? You, you ate too many sweets. An injury sounds better than having fucking tooth decay. <laughs> <laughs> But I did get, I did miss talking about the movies for last week. Who can remind me of what the movies were that we did review without me and Sean last week? Silence of the Lambs. See, that's where the silence comes yeah. in, Sean. The silence comes in when you ask the boys to remember something, knowing it's to slag yeah. somebody off. And that was the usual suspects. That's it. So, yeah. Silence of the Lambs, which came into our top four with... Um, a really good score of a 4.63 and the usual suspects came in I believe in the late 60s I'm just scrolling down here you think I'd have this organised um, it's coming in at number 70 actually typically it was one out a 2.5 scored by the morons now obviously these scores are a little bit different to what they typically are as they are only from four people um, Sean's not giving his scores yet but we are taking a break next week so there'll be no podcast release next week um, due to someone having to get some treatment done once again basically <laughs> fucking up the whole plan for everybody mm -hmm. uh, but Sean's going to catch up on these movies during our week off um, which Sean will be buzzing eh? it's quite good for Sean to have to actually do a little bit extra when the boys can have a week off for once <laughs> I just never stopped working. It's just fucking. They're gonna take it all now. You're the fool. We both last week. You stopped working then. Note the sarcasm. You're daft, tribute. <laughs> I was being sarcastic back at you, too, because you always love. You always talk about how much you love watching all these films to us. Uh, I can't wait to bring down the score of uh, Silence of the Lambs by. The new that you'll get Silence of the Lambs at five. What are you saying? I genuinely believe that you'll get a silence of the lambs at five. Oh, really? Oh, no, I'm worried. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make that point five. I think if he, I think if he scores a goal, you just ignore his score and just say that it doesn't count because yeah, is that? Guys, stop influencing scores. 
<laughs> right, anyway, guys, we're not here to talk about last week's scores. Let's talk about this week's ones. Uh, so the movies that we reviewed this week were Hunter's Picks. Hunter, do you want to announce everyone what your picks were? Yes, so these were my picks. I didn't think of which these two to win, but here we are reviewing these two movies, and the two we've got this week are Reservoir Dogs and Dead Poets Society. This is a common theme for you, Hunter, eh? Like, oh, Hunter, tell us about like, I didn't actually like any of these. I didn't think it would win. But... <laughs> <laughs> just chucked them in because they were available. It's quite shocking that Dead Poets Society did win because I don't, I don't think from our audience it seemed like the one that would be well known, but maybe it's the Robin Williams effect. But we will come on to that one later. I think Reservoir Dogs is a really good place for us to start off with. I believe someone's just finished watching this not long before the stream has started. Yeah, uh, Reservoir Dogs came out in 1992, uh, directed by everyone's favourite director in here, uh, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Honestly, I'll be yeah. fucking glad when we're done with Tarantino. Um, so uh, we've, got one minute, we've, got, we've got one minute to go after this, because we're hateful, we're just moving. There's no one we're going to go up for votes, so... Uh, no one's in the hateful, eh? No, no. so once upon a time in Hollywood, essentially, to complete the collection. Oh, well, you know what? I'm going to add to my list of movies when I shaft you all when I get selected <laughs> from the room. <laughs> so, uh, when a simple jewellery heist goes horribly wrong, the surviving criminals begin to suspect that one of them is a police informant. Um, a movie that's in the top 91 movies on IMDb. So let's see if the morons are going to keep it anywhere near that heights. But we'll all come to the man that selected it first of all. Mr. Scott Hunter, take it away. Just before we go to Hunter, when you say the top 91, do you mean 91st? I've read it how it appears on IMDb. It says... Top right, top rated movies ninety one. <laughs> I've read it as a top ninety one. <laughs> <laughs> right, Smartass. Guess who's cutting that part out? Fucking silencing you for the whole time, Daniel. The fact that we just talk shit and they, nobody gets to fix it or correct it, and we make mistakes all the time, it's part of the charm. You're no editing now. No. Definitely not, because that's too much fucking work. I can't be asked with that. <laughs> I'll have to add something in to cut that out. No, thank you. Uh, sorry, Hunter, um, please take it away. Uh, Reservoir Dogs. Um, this was generally my first time watching it, and this is definitely a film that has been hyped up because it's Quentin Tarantino. It is. I wouldn't say it's god awful, but it's so underwhelming, I believe, to what the hype around it is. Um, obviously, his token appearance in, much to I'd imagine, will be Sean's grievance that he managed to show him and roll himself into the uh, film. But, I've said, I mean, for this, this is probably the definition of a film where there's so much going on, but there's no enough going on at the same time. Uh, where, I, mean, I feel like it cuts out so much. Like, I've not got more of a comedy at this career, but I've read it when I was doing my research. I was like, it's always voted in the top top percentile for heist movies for you, but this is the one film where you don't actually see the heist taking place. You just kind of got to deal with the pre-heist and the consequences of the heist. But for all that sort of... Um, 
from it is maybe a bit better background about who these people are to actually care about them. Or make it as if you actually don't know anything. They gave you like a wee bit of insight, 
which I would just made it silly. So I, I think the only insight they gave you really was um, Michael Madsen's character and the cop. Mm-hmm. The only two you really got any background on. Yeah, I obviously with Tim Ross' character, you got a lot of his like sort of his undercover sort of build up mm-hmm. his character undercover. That's how you you kind of really got invested in him as a character within it. I think it would have been much better without those two parts. Rather than adding more background for everybody else, I would have preferred not to have seen Vinny Vega go to the yeah uh, go to the office and meet the boss and all that and mm-hmm. spend. And they have the fucking wrestling match and all that, which was fucking weird. And mm-hmm. I'm not have known Tim Loff was a cop until the moment he told Harvey Keitel he was a cop. And what, to me, that's but this message, this with this structure. Is what would you have filled that time with? Like more about the actual heist itself? No, no. Oh, the actual heist, like, even like not even the heist. We could have maybe just seen that immediate aftermath when they emerged from the back, and they've got. The, I know we kind of seen a bit of it. But the emerge obviously Steve Buscemi then does the car jack, but that immediate aftermath when they kind of all, like, I think maybe you could have added a bit more in there, but although we were never going to see the heist, you could have added in a, maybe a bit more just before and just after. See, this is why I love this, because some of you want more, and I wish there was a lot of this, like the complete opposite. So, like, see what you're saying, what would I feel that time with? Just more of that dialogue, more of them shouting and swearing each other, saying, who the fuck? Uh, told the cops who's fucking done it. That's my favourite bit about this film is like the dialogue and the, the arguments between each other. You can tell that it's like written so frantically by Tarantino. And I think this is, I'm just jumping in here, but I think this is why he became such a highly regarded director was how good the dialogue is in this movie. Because ultimately, right, this movie is filmed in a warehouse. There's a couple of other scenes swear to me, so there's a breakfast scene and then everyone else is in that fucking warehouse and it's mostly just guys shouting at each other and yeah. trying to figure out what the fuck's going on and the bit that kind of loses it for me is that I wish that I was figuring it out the same as them and mm-hmm. trying to guess and like being in their position is they gave it away far too early I think that yeah. him off the cop undercover and then when they go and show you him and his mate and him practicing being an undercover cop and all that I kind of lose interest a wee bit um, I think if this was an hour and a half and it was just in the warehouse, none of the fucking breakfast, none of anything else, and it was just the aftermath, I'd have fucking looked. I, st- I still like this, but that would have been what would have made this better for me. I think he tried too much to fill in the gaps rather than... I suppose, like you said, if they wanted to fill in the full background of that, this would have been a three-hour movie. And that's what Tarantino's ended up doing later in his career. He's taken on all this advice and he's sort of simplified his back movie that we watched. Yeah, I- he's made the... I would say what one of my favourite scenes for it is telling the dialogue is see the opening scene where they're in, they're in the cafe. I, that for me, mm-hmm. I really really enjoyed that because yes. it seems like a genuine conversation. If someone was to then go around that table and not tip, you would all chin them, and it'd be like mm-hmm. it seems quite a an honest perception of what what that is at that point. What I mean for what I would like differently. So there's two things I'd like more about this, right? One of the movies I'd like more to be about this is the background, so I can actually be invested in the individual characters. This other part, if he didn't have that, would be give me give me the point of view of every Mr. Colour, whatever, 
exiting the the heist. So obviously you get to see Buscemi run away and he's run away from the cops in a bag. Um, you, de- you then get the Harvey Keitel bit uh, with Tim Roth and he gets shot. But let me see the other people as well. I just to have all of them to tick it all off for me. Um, for me, with like I don't know if it's like a compulsion thing, but like I want to, I want to close that loop of all, seeing everything that they've done to lead up to them into the warehouse to have the big argument and the big debate and going on. The scene where he's obviously cutting the guy's ear off, right? And that's what's that the most iconic part of this whole movie that everyone mm-hmm. knows about. The music's really good when he's doing that mm-hmm. scene. It mm-hmm. is for me, it is a proper perfect scene when it goes on. Um you feel the real evilness from Michael Madsen's character, which is cool because you want to obviously work out later on that he's Vic Vega, isn't he? That he's yeah. in the same universe as um John Travolta's character. But I don't know. We'll just uh, nip that in the bud before you steal anyone with my That's that's well known that. That's well known. Mm-hmm. But that I don't even want so thanks for ruining it for for me putting that up Do we do spoiler alerts on this, guys? No, fuck it. We're it for everybody. <laughs> uh, if you've not seen this movie thirty years after it came out, guys, come on the fuck. Um for me that's a one point in this film where it's like absolute full attention, really enjoying myself in it. The other parts because I've seen it a couple of times. I knew what was going to happen, what was going on. I knew the twists and the turns on it. So, but this is the one part where I, I down tools and I'm really paying attention. Um, Sean, you've been noticeably quiet on this after a week off. We are all missing your voice, so please come in, give us your thoughts. I am fairly excited in the hunt of you. I no secret. Like I really don't like Tarantino or. I don't really like his films. I've kind of learned that through through us doing this. Uh, this is just, I just another one you add to the Tarantino list that I just I don't like and I don't particularly get. I, I expected more for it. It's not to say that I thought that this was... I, I must have been correct with thought this was regarded as... as like, it was this in Pulp Fiction with his best ones. Uh, but it I, I just... There's so much going on, but there's so little actually happening. The and I'll, I'll come to Tantino himself in a minute, but <laughs> the constant jumping back and forth between the, the the warehouse and then obviously going back to week to week and many background stories. I'm I've never really been a fan of that kind of method, whether it's in film or TV show kind of flashback types. I, 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 I'm just I'm just not a big fan of it at all. Uh, I agree with what Dan was saying about kind of it would have been good to find out uh, as as we, as it kind of went along instead of obviously with the background stuff. Tarantino put his role itself was just absolutely pointless. Could have been done by anybody. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was in the opening scene and he was in one of the flashbacks where he was driving the car uh, and then he's he's died. It was he missed Mr. Brown. I think he was. Uh, I, I just. It, it just really, really, I just have a really strong dislike and I, like for him and I tried to put that to the side when I was watching this because I knew that it would, it, it would kind of make my mind up on the film but I, I just, I don't know, I just don't really get it. I thought the, the, like, the blood as well, and it's a kind of theme through Tarantino's films, I don't know if it's on purpose of that, but it just looks so fake as well and 
obviously his films are known for a lot of violence and stuff, but it just looks like really runny tomato sauce that they're covered in. <laughs> uh, you see moves in the back of the car at first before we'd seen how he got, how he got shot. I was like, that just looks fucking ridiculous. And then at the end, obviously, he's just lying in the wee ramp in the warehouse, so at the end, at the end, through the kind of full film, he's just sitting in a puddle of tomato sauce, it looks like. Uh, obviously, it is an older film, fair enough, but I just can't, I, I just don't get Tarantino, I don't get his films. I, I didn't particularly like this. And I know that there'll be folk in the comments on Instagram that'll be as you, they're starting their usual piss, giving it five out of five, and questioning our, our existence as a human being because we don't like a certain film. But, uh, no, it's not really for me, but on a kind of positive side, it's all that we touched on, but the acting performances again were really good. Uh, I thought Tim Roth was absolutely brilliant, but I, I, it's just no saving it for me. I just, I, I just, I never want to see another Tarantino film again in my life. I actually kind of <coughs> thought that this was supposed to be one of the better ones, but it's, uh, for me, it's doing the way hateful eight, like, uh, fucking garbage. Oh. Is it hatefully that bad? Oh, it's fucking hell, man. Terrible. So bad. But uh, the one, I genuinely thought that you would... I thought of all the Tarantino movies, this might be the one you would like, Sean, because I think it's the least Tarantino. I think Tarantino's got worse and worse as the years have gone on with leaning in towards uh, the sort of typical Tarantino soaps that we talk about, like the too much blood and... Uh, the the, it's it, it's just the kind of layout of it. Like, uh, see, like Lost when that was on TV, right? Obviously, when that like, that first series of Lost kind of was absolutely brilliant. The, the thing I hated about it was the the, the flashbacks. I bored me to tears. That had me interested in mm-hmm. all, and because I just wanted to see what was happening on the island and stuff like that, and the here and now as it was. And ever since watching Lost, I've had a real dislike for films or TV shows that do flashbacks style, whether it's episodes or periods in films it just I just totally switched off. I've no idea why, but when they were doing it this like, when it was happening here, I just again just switched off. And my thing with Tarantino that I, I don't particularly enjoy his work of his films, it, it didn't really help obviously. But that's probably my own fault for nobody really safe about that. But nah, mm-hmm. it's just it's totally, terrible. totally no for me at all. Uh, it's uh, that is a kind of small thing and I know that it was probably needed in this film. If they weren't going to show the heist and stuff like that, they can't just have them in a, in a warehouse for an hour and a half saying, hey, you're a rat, you're a rat, no, you're a cop, blah, blah, blah. I know they need to add some context to what's actually happened to the guys, but uh, I just turned off when, when, it, when it does be flashback stuff. Uh, but the uh, Tarantino himself just had no reason to be in this film at all other than to feed that fucking weird ego he has. His character was fucking pointless. He didn't play by anybody, any young aspiring actor trying to get his foot in the door at Hollywood or whatever would have done it, it, that would have been a, a good role for, for somebody but he again has to put his cell in there just well, that because they didn't even actually need that character there like he crashed no, the no. so like he was in the opening scene he was in the scene when they were giving it the names and then he was in the scene where he crashed the car and died that absolutely yeah. pointless because when, when, when obviously when it opened with him in the the diner or the restaurant, whatever it was, and I, and I heard his voice, and I was like, oh, you're fucking joking me, and it was like, straight away, <laughs> he's the first thing we hear, I th- I'm not, not sure he's the first character we see, which I think is the black one we see, but I, I, was, I, was, I was like, are you fucking kidding me, on, man, but uh, I could have been played by anybody, some poor wee young actors play a fucking audition for that role, because if Hunter's trivia 
which he's going to talk about, obviously, if, if that's correct, which it is, I'm no doubting you, but like, uh, he obviously never had this part for him in mind. He had another part for him in mind. So somebody would have auditioned for this role. And it's a small role, so it would have been somebody that's not going to be a big name or anything. So it would have been some poor wee cunt trying to put his, get his name out there, try to start his career and that, and this selfish cunt who's already making money after the film, he's already, he's fucking written it and all that. He has to get his fucking head in. Oh, he's a, a vile, vile, vile person, man. Well, I've been waiting for this whole time, I was like, he's been quite calm about Tarantino and it. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I suppose I'm following for you, Sean, right? Because I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, I probably like it more than you like it, but I totally agree on the whole flashback issue. Now, maybe that's because it's been done to death over the mm. last years of TV and film that we've seen so many times now this idea. Now, I don't know if this was the first time it was sort of done like this or if it's a devious sort of issue, but... Uh, the whole idea then you're getting a certain aspect of the story and then it's like oh let's go back and fill in that gap let's go back and fill in this gap I'm like I've not got time for that personally um, like I said earlier when Hunter was giving his thoughts for me if this had gone from the opening scene I love I actually think it's fucking amazing mm-hmm. how long it's ends mm-hmm. a good 10 minutes of them talking to the table arguing over tips at breakfast arguing over what does like a virgin mean uh, and see the wee debates over what Like a Virgin is all about. I just thought that was mm-hmm. funny. And although Tarantino's got hundreds of flaws, he does have his dialogue is fucking strong. Like, yeah. every conversation did feel like a real conversation. Although these people are psychopaths and mental, but that's it all came across like real conversations being had by real people. And that's maybe the, the saves us a wee bit for me. One thing to mention is, and this is this might be, in fact, I'm going to say, I think this is my favourite ever soundtrack for the movie. Uh, I had the CD of this when I was a teenager. Uh, every single song of it is fucking brilliant. The cuts to the radio being like the theme in the background. Where, uh, do you notice, I don't know if this will be in your trivia, it's probably too small time for your trivia, Hunter, but uh, Stephen Knight, the comedian, do you know who he is? No. So there's a comedian called Stephen Knight who's got that sort of really long, dull voice and he delivers these jokes like this. He's got a little deep voice. He's the guy that's the voiceover in all the radio shows doing all the introductions of the songs. Um, and, I, and I love his wee bits. And when I had the soundtrack, I had his little introductions for the radio show in between every track and all that. Um, but to tie in with some of the criticisms, I do definitely agree with a lot of them. Um, it's just a pretty disjointed and a bit all over the place and there's too many unnecessary scenes and I know Sean said you couldn't just have it all in the warehouse, but I would have just had it all in the fucking warehouse. And I think that would have been a much better. Um, saying that, there's so many great scenes, and, and when I say scenes, I mean short pieces where maybe, see where it's just Steve Buscemi and Harvey Cartel arguing for a good solid maybe five or six minutes. Mm-hmm. But I loved that, man. I was like all in on that. When Michael Madsen's character comes in, he's a bit unbelievable as a character for me. I didn't really buy into him at all. Mm. Like, sort of like this sort of silent <laughs> psychopath type, but then he was toy fighting with Chris Penn's character and sort of being a bit aloof. And then none of it sort of tied in that well with me with his character. And then he just starts torturing the cop. And I didn't really quite see what the, where they were going with it. I mean, is he just a murdering psychopath? Or 
was is he really smart? And he's thinking this cop is fucking. He does know something. I'm going to get out of him by. And maybe he was going to get out of him. Maybe the cop was going to eventually say it until Tindall fucking shot him. But um, at that point, Harry Keitel's character starts to annoy me because he's supposed to be pretty big time. You can tell that he's pretty big time in this, right? Because he's the one that knows the boss personally. And he was able to steal his wee book and put it in his pocket and say, no, get your book back, right? So they must be at a similar level in the fucking crime world, right? So Harry Cartel should know what the, he should know about all this shit, but he comes across really naive all the time. Like, so Steve Buscemi had to keep explaining him, like, what the fuck was going on. He's like, pay attention. He's still being fucking stupid. And he's like, why, why are you telling him your name? Why are you telling him where you fucking live? Like, he's meant to be the guy... If they give me some sort of background that one of the guys is very inexperienced, right? And that's where this is all come from, that he's giving away all this information. But he's supposed to be the, the the sort of smart guy, right? And then by the end, it's so obvious that Tim Doth is the fucking cop or the fucking that. Right? It's so mm-hmm. obvious. Like, the, the story he told about fucking shooting that guy, right? And, and whatever his name is, the fucking Big Joe or whatever comes in. And he's like... It's definitely you because it doesn't make sense. And he's right. It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Hagrid Cartel was going all out to try and defend this guy that he met last week is fucking nonsense. It's sort of... I lose interest at that point. And see when they see them all aim the guns at each other. And they all shoot each other's off down. Shite. And, and also, are, just when you're saying about how it was obviously he was a cop, remember it before the heist and they're in the car together and... Harvey Keltel's character's asking the guy that's the cop, oh, what would you do if this happens? He's explaining to him what he would do if something goes wrong. Like, So if 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 he's asking all these questions, if he's never been involved in this kind of stuff before, it's so obvious even back then, from his character, you'd be, you'd be dubious about him. But as he's like, oh, no, he's a really sound guy and everything, it would definitely wouldn't be him. Even going back to that stage, for me, it was so obvious that he was, going to, he was a cop, which... I didn't like as well. Right. I was quite interested to come to you about this because last week was a big twist in a movie that have you uh, you've not seen Usual Suspects, so we won't tell you what happened, Sean. But okay. it's worth having a big twist, right? And normally, if you've never seen it, you wouldn't really see it coming. Whereas Bunsy, one of his complaints last week was that he saw it coming early. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was interested to see if you how early you realised Tim Roth was the guy. I know. Well, I didn't realise it. I was kind of had an inkling at that point when they were in the car together. But then as it goes further on, you're like, you're convinced that it's going to be him, which obviously does does ruin it a wee bit. Um, I thought like I um, some I thought the opening scene when they were at the cafe was like although it was although I didn't really know what was going on in terms of who was who. Obviously it was it was really good and like you'd said the dialogue throughout the film was class. I disagree about um I thought Michael Madison's character, I thought he was I thought he was a star and I thought he was class. I thought his character was just really believable as this sort of person who didn't give a toss and like even just subtle things how the way he was like leaning back against stuff it was just like I'm the man basically but he actually portrayed that really well I thought along with the stuff we were saying um, music was class as has been touched on before um, but I was like most of the points were sort of went as we were going on but it was just one of those films where I was expecting to be the outlier in terms of, well, I thought Sean would hate it just because it was a, might not enjoy it because it was a Tarantino one, but I thought Hunter was going to love it. I thought maybe you'd seen it before and maybe really enjoyed it and that's why you'd picked it. And then I thought Daniel McKell would really love it too, but it was just because 
they didn't invent, they didn't go all in on the characters or told you nothing. It was kind of just stuck in between. So I don't know what point they were trying to get across, whether they wanted you to really care about them or whether it was meant to be a mystery, whereas to me it was just kind of, you just didn't know what side of the fence they were trying to go with it and then comparing it to like the other Tarantino films that we've watched, like the two Kill Bill and Pulp Fiction, it's nowhere even close to that, that kind of level. Like those other ones are just so superior to this. Um, which I'm quite disappointed because when I saw that I was thinking I was actually really looking forward to it. Although it's decent, it's not I was thinking it might have been something that we're gonna put really highly, but obviously based on what I've just said so far, it looks as if it's that's not really the case. It's definitely going to be a scenario where we piss a lot of people off on the yeah. Instagram. Just to come back to the the kind of Mexican standoff that the Harvey Keitel, the big boss, and Chris Payne are having at that point, right? One thing that's always bothered me with this scene is how does Harvey Keitel manage to shoot both of them? He doesn't. No, he doesn't. No. Buscemi shoots Chris Payne. There's three or four of them, I remember, and they all shoot different folk. So, right, so, like I was saying, it's no obvious, right? So, um, Harvey Keitel's got a gun at the boss. The boss has got a gun at Tim Roth, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chris Penn has a gun at Harvey Keitel, right? So, in theory, there's nobody to kill Chris Penn in the little triangle. Right? Oh, okay. Super sorry, Yeah, but Shemmy's hiding. And Steve Buscemi, I, I believe, anyway, so I think that what you're meant to understand is Steve Buscemi kills Chris Penn. So, just to jump in there. He's, he's read the situation, head, and thought, if this goes the way it's going to go, I'm going to fucking run away with a fucking yeah. diamond half in days. Yeah. So, to jump to jump in there and quash that, guys, I, I was doing a bit of research in the back when we were talking about it because it's really annoyed me. And it's confirmed that in the movie Reservoir Dogs, who shot Chris Penn's character? Harvey Keitel's character, Mr. White, shoots Nice Guy Eddie. So I'm looking at a little gift set here and he makes a slight motion towards Chris Penn after he's shot, which is to indicate that he shot him because he gets shot in the chest. So Steve Buscemi's character couldn't have shot Nice Guy Eddie for where he was. So Keitel manages to kill both of them whilst getting shot and killed himself. Oh, that's uh, what I'll do is I'll, I'll save it to the computer and I'll send, it, I'll send it to you boys in the chat after to show you the bit where he makes a millimetre change in his angle and there's no way he can even reach him and he that. You, you see the you see the recoil in Chris Ben's chest of where he's being shot and killed. So yeah, that's that because when I watched it at the time, I was like, that makes no sense. Because I first thought, has Tim Roth's character shot Chris Penn at this point? That would have made more logical sense. Um, it would have made sense as well because they they spent a lot of time hyped up the fact he had a gun in his shoe, a tiny little mm-hmm. gun in his shoe. Mm-hmm. We to see him use that tiny little gun in his shoe. You also see from the gif of Tim Roth's character actually repels backwards to lie on his back after the shooting. So, like, just just put the gun in his hand and that actually fixes that whole scene. Whereas, mm-hmm. looking at it for this, and like I say, I'll, I'll share it with you. And maybe, maybe some worthwhile will put it on Instagram as well later, Daniel, to ask people who who shocked this pen because it's a bit of a mystery at this point. Um, yeah, it kind of, that was one of the things I took away as a note from me of, like, 
who actually done it and it made no sense in a Mexican standoff that surely there should have been one person that wins there? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like I Steve Buscemi off camera had shot the last guy and then they fucked, they fucked off. Like, that's yeah. what made more sense to me. Because I think it's another point in the movie as well because early on they make a point of establishing Harvey Keitel with two guns mm-hmm. shooting the cops mm-hmm. and guns mm-hmm. and shoot simultaneously, right? So if you want to have a cocktail kill both of them, just have a cocktail. Yeah. Another thing I was looking for when I was looking at it, I was like, does he have two guns in there that I've not clocked when uh, when we've been watching this? But mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I know this is a little tiny thing to pick up on, but I think it's a major plot hole when it comes to what, what you're expecting from it. It's not even a plot hole, though, really. It's, because it's the fact that, obviously, they think they, you've, like, people have picked up, me and Daniel have picked up the simple thing, and then they've went, oh, no, that's not actually what happened. We've decided this other way it's going to happen that makes it even more ridiculous. Because <laughs> if, if, if you read it and we said, we, and the agreement was with what we had thought, then obviously you'd be like, oh, well, you'd have been like, well, I, was, I, I didn't understand why you, how you picked it up. It makes sense. I don't get it. Just bringing the score down even more with the <laughs> with mm-hmm. the with, with the gif that's coming there, but I'll share it with you later, and you can you can make your own viewings from it at that point. Hunter, do you want to jump into trivia? If no one's got anything else to add to this um, underwhelming movie, yes, I'll do. So the film budget was so low that many of the actors were actually asked to bring their own clothing for wardrobe for the film. Um, the budget also wouldn't allow for police assistance or traffic control. So when Steve Buscemi's character carjacks that lady, those scenes could only be shot when the lights were green so they would hold up, hold up any traffic at the back of them. So basically they were shooting that they seen in live traffic. Also, we touched on it with the Pulp Fiction trivia. So, uh, Vince Vega and uh, Vic Vega were brothers. Uh, and Quentin Tarantino actually wanted to shoot a film called The Double V Vega. But by the time he got with the actual writer, both of the, the uh, John Travolta and Michael Myers aged that much that they couldn't retry to go back to their people. So, the film the ever happened, but I think it's that the Vega brothers are actually. Podcast so far, Reservoir Dogs is a stencil for other gangster movies. <laughs> Daniel, you have said that this was your favourite soundtrack. Yeah. However, um, when the film was first done, the entire soundtrack budget was spent on a uh, stuck in the middle of you. It was then told the producers managed to secure a record deal 
that they were then able to add in the extra songs so they could actually make a full soundtrack. There was only ever meant to be one song in that full film to begin with. And uh, that band, where the band Steelers Wheel that sings stuck in the middle of you, where are they from? They're from Dundee. Oh, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Well, all right. And uh, also, I know you touched on it with the radio stuff. On when they're driving in the car, the president comes through for Jack Rabbit's Sons, which is a 1950s restaurant where the five dollar milkshake and they do the dancing and pulp fiction. So the advert for that restaurant comes through on the radio. Oh, in the car. I quite like that. So I quite like the fact that both films are in the same universe, but it's just a. Well, you've cut out, haven't you? Sorry, no, 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 I, I, I paused for thought. You paused for thought, but <laughs> I, I'll, 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 I'll fill the gap in there as a, as a factually accurate podcast that we typically are. Steelers Wheeler from Paisley. Paisley, sorry, I knew they were Scottish, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, went, you went a layer too deep there, Daniel. Scottish would have settled it, fine. Mate, <laughs> yeah, should have said fucking Scotland. Fuck's sake. <laughs> No, Hunter, that's, that, 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 that's awesome. Is there any other trivia you want to add in for there? Oh, I think I've got a part for it. I mean, a lot of it is just about the voted best independent movie and stuff like that, but we've kind of touched on that way by description of the movie. There's nothing more than... But I know that there is actual hundreds. Again, a lot of, a lot of the day with the individual characters and a lot of Tarantino's... Because it was a start-up movie, essentially, but there's nothing... Nothing more groundbreaking. There's just a lot of trivia. One of the one of the things that I searched after this was because I was like trying to guess where things would be cut, right? So I wanted to know like was the ear cutting scene available everywhere? But they actually cut it out of the movie in the finish VHS release. So could you imagine watching this movie where that whole scene is just cut out? I mean, you don't even see anything. Like the the, the best thing about the scene is the fact that the camera slowly pans away mm-hmm. and you don't see the violence it's left to your imagination yeah yeah like the best thing about it yeah scene just completely cut out from there daniel i'm gonna I know you mentioned that there was a bit of thing kyle i think uh with the torture scene where that will be a uh, where, uh what's his name harvey weinstein actually wanted that cut because he thought it was too gruesome and he hangs it that guy's on and he's sort of somebody cutting somebody's ears a bit gruesome <laughs> Well, it took us to be fair guys, it took us forty three minutes to talk about some fucking sexual abuse. I think that's progression for us. Mm-hmm. Well, how getting scotch off that's that's not really as cancelled, people would like that. That's not a bad thing. Well, to be fair, Sean, is it a shock that we're talking about the likes of him and Tarantino in the same sentence? Not at all. <laughs> we'll, we'll, leave, uh, we'll leave Sean to contact TMZ about his thoughts on what Tarantino when he uh, inevitably <laughs> gets announced for some sort of misconduct that has happened. But I think we should swiftly move on to get scoring this, Daniel. I'm going to assume that we had a lot of uh, fanboys for this on Instagram when it came to scores. Uh, that would probably be a really safe assumption, except I forgot to put it up for scores on Instagram this week. <laughs> 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 
what we'll do is right, we'll put our scores up and then I'll put a wee story up on what would you have scored it and maybe that'll be the way forward for this that next so every week we'll talk about how people disagreed with last week's scores rather than get the scores first I don't know I'm just winging it now I'll put your score and then another one on the back of it saying like if people want to back your score up with a comment and then that way we've got comment content as well that would be a good way for people to vent their frustration directly at us as well Without yeah, it, yeah. Um, without it muddying the waters of the comment section every single time that we put something up. Uh, if you do want to get involved in your scores and your thoughts on the movies that we do review, please jump onto Instagram and follow Morons Reviewing Movies. We are so close to hitting 2,000 followers. Uh, I'd love to do that by the end of February. I think that would be awesome. So if anyone is listening that hasn't already followed please, please jump on and give us a little follow. Now, boys, I think it's time to score the movies ourselves. Um, it's good to have all five of us here. It seems quite rare. Uh, but we're going to start off with the man that selected this movie as one of his top 16. Scott Hunter, give us your score to kick it off. <laughs> all right, I'm going to add a caveat as in saying 16 random movies that were available <laughs> in our view. But I hope you're my top 16 movies of all time. Uh, so, as we kind of touched on, it's kind of massively underwhelmed, however, but it's some great. Um, there are some there are some plus points that the movie just need to be given credit for. I mean, I know we sort of mentioned about the, the dialogue scene at the beginning, but you look at how much that and then evolved into the dialogue scene with Inglourious Bastards, that opening credit, like how much he's, he raised the game, but the, the foundations of the living sort of laid, so I will. Score this 2.5 out of 5. 2.5, sitting with scalps in his arse there on the fence, Mr. Scott. <laughs> the man that made us watch Fear and Loathing. Uh, Daniel? Uh, it was a 3.5, but now it's a 3.25. <laughs> a 3.25 for the Mexican standoff that wasn't a Mexican standoff. <laughs> Burnsy? Um, I did stuff scalps in my arse, but because of the comment you made, Kel, it's now, now down to a 2.25. <laughs> a 2.25. Um, I'm, I'm going to bring it slightly back up and join Hunter with the scales on the 2.5. <laughs> uh, a bit disjointed for me, but a couple of really memorable things that I did enjoy. Uh, Tarantino fanboy, you are up last. There's no scales from Mars. I'm giving it a 1.5. <laughs> <laughs> a one point. <laughs> uh, so, what's the highest scoring you've given to a Tarantino movie? Oh, I don't know. Oh. I, no, that I, I actually really like Glorious Bastards. I do. Oh. Uh, so I, I must give credit for that one. But like uh, the rest, it's just a shower of shit. <laughs> and then Glorious Bastards is the one that I really didn't like. <laughs> So it's interesting. It's, I, what I do think is really funny and what's really, really good is the way that we contrast each other when it comes to scoring movies. Like, there's no consistency between us. It's all all our feelings towards it. Like, I can really enjoy a movie like this, which is good, but still only give it a 2.5. And then Inglourious Bastards, which is in some people's top five movies of all time, I fucking hated. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Make, what makes mm-hmm. us... Unique guys. Bunsy, what does that give it overall? Overall, that's a 2.4. A 2.4. Yeah. 
So we scored, that's actually lower than the usual suspects from last week. Um, so let me just scroll down the leaderboard and find out where it sits. 2.4 brings this joint alongside the Fugitive. Um, a Sean favourite in Hocus Pocus. And a controversial scoring that we gave to the movie Up, which got a lot of backlash from my... Uh, personally, oh. Aye, from, <laughs> from my better half only. Um, so joint 73rd will be Reservoir Dogs. It will be just in front of Up, due to alphabetical order. I think that's a pretty fair place for it. And then I was quite glad to see different scores. See, over the last sort of two or three weeks, we've all been pretty close to each other with our scores, which is a bit boring, mm-hmm. but there's quite a good range in these ones, which makes it more exciting for me. So I'm in a I movie. just have to there and say that I thought it was on par with Usual Suspects, and by complete shock to myself, I scored the Usual Suspects 2.25 as well. So I must actually be getting better at my scoring now. <laughs> Right. It's only seen us over a hundred movies. <laughs> well, if you want to calm down with the consistency, that'd be I fuck that'd be uh, ideal. We didn't we didn't like that. It's not the it's not the more wrong way, but movies in its company, um it's just below the usual suspects, marriage story and drive. It's just above Gone Girl, Hotel Rwanda and everyone's favourite movie, The Conjuring. Daniel, the conjuring. <laughs> Once Sean gives his score for usual suspects, this will then be what usual suspects what it should be. Well, there we go. We'll make some make some thoughts on that there. But guys, uh, just a, obviously a quick plug to the socials we mentioned uh, Instagram earlier. Um, if you are listening to us, you are only listening to us on podcast this week. We are also live, typically on Twitch on a Monday night at nine pm. If you just search for Morons Review Movies, you will find us on Twitch. So please give us a follow on there and thank you for your listen and your download on the podcast for this week on whichever platform that you've chose to listen to us. We are just approaching 700 downloads for the podcast as, as well. Um, we've had about 300 downloads in the last 30 days. So it's going really strong. So again, keep it up, keep the notifications on and download us when it does pop up on your list. It's typically on a Tuesday at 3pm. If I'm on top of my game, it will be there at Tuesday at 3pm. Movie number two, selected by Mr. Scott Hunter, Dead Poets Society. A movie coming out in 1989. I was only two at this point. Hunter would have been about 23, so it's mm-hmm. um, he'd have been well aware of this movie. <laughs> um, this is a maverick teacher, John Keaton, uses poetry to embolden his boarding school students to new heights of self-expression. Just before, just before we go into this, right, I talked to a lot of people about the movies that we've got coming up, and a lot of people ask me, like, what are you reviewing, what's coming up? And there's a couple of movies that I found really difficult to explain, even though I've seen them, and I know how good they are. And this is one of them. Explaining to somebody a movie called Dead Poet Society, where it's a group of boarding school students that talk about poetry, is is a hard sell. It's a really hard sell. And the only movie I can give in comparison to what's recently is Whiplash, because Whiplash is a hard sell to someone who's that, never that, seen that it before. Well, I'll let you come back to that one, but it's just the synopsis, exactly the synopsis of it. So, uh, to give an example, um, 
I watched Deadpool Society today, and I was going to watch me, me and the missus watched a movie last night, and the choices were between End of Watch or Deadpool Society. Now, End of Watch is a much more appealing synopsis to it than Deadpool Society, <laughs> uh, which End of Watch, a really good movie. It's been on the it's been on the agenda a few times for us, um, but yeah. A really good, enjoyable movie, which is a but it's a hard sell to explain to someone without giving away too much of what happens. But we'll push towards Hunter again. You come first. This is your movie. Take it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I totally agree with the it's a hard sell to a neutral or to a novice. How would you explain this in a selling point of view? But I suppose that's a bit kind of something that everybody took on board with regards to the backlash maybe we received for something like Schindler's List where there's not maybe an enjoyment value on paper but it is still a great film in its own right and obviously this is what this is I mean the, the fact that the Deadpool Society is something else that started by uh, Robert Williams' character when he went to the Wilton High School and then on earth he comes back as a teacher after teacher in England and then he takes Dr. Crowley, presume I'm very confused with the American school system, let's just presume the equivalent of six years um, under his wing, and he's kind of like, it's a very alternative method of teaching to follow with what they used to in 1959, therefore, as you see, and I cut for it, one of, especially one of the scenes that's going to have to watch with the boys getting physically. Not even just getting the belt over the wrist, but he's literally got bent over the fucking headmaster's desk and getting spanked for a leather belt, which I can only presume was part of the American school system back then. But obviously he's got a very alternative way of teaching, and maybe it's something that maybe would have been boarded on over in Britain, but I don't know for that the thing, and we also know even corporal punishment was probably of the norm when I came to school, um, it wasn't too dissimilar time. Um, from even when we attended school, so it would have definitely been probably in place back when this one was set, but he's came over, he's had a few alternative ways, and I think he's done great, he's put his foot. I mean, these are the, the, this, this point in time when, obviously, in a boarding school where you have, um, and especially the age that these uh, kids are going through, that's sort of mix for me. You're still a child, but you're still. Starting to see feel adult on Tuesday going becoming the, the first few steps into being an adult and he's treating them as that, he's not they're not just kids, he's letting them have their own voice and he's encouraging them to have their own voice, which obviously we see the few have seen we obviously we, we knew that and how hard he is and how he's a favourite and I feel some of that obviously, obviously I don't know if it's it is it's quite obviously it's very distressing to see what happened from I think you can see it coming. I think I think I remember had I know we we talked talk beforehand we came on. But I said I could only remember the end scene, obviously, which is iconic in its own right. But I could remember but one rewatching it again for this, I could see I could tell what was gonna happen when they like from I couldn't remember how it happened, but I was like I I can I know what's gonna happen when you're here. And especially I've got a bit of trivia on it which will lead to it, but obviously that is a very hard watch. Uh, to go through, but even then, it's still. I mean, it's the, the, even with all the 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 people, it's great acting performances. Robin Williams is outstanding in it, and I know I don't know if we've got a touch that Kyle, but obviously we've got asked a question by uh, Ben from was it funny from Diary asked us uh, how would how do you think Robin Williams would get on if he was 
teaching in our high schools when we were um, at school. And for me, I think he would have been very much a, he would definitely, that sort of method of teaching would definitely sit a lot better with the sort of fifth and sixth year higher um, standard of student. But I think he would also tailor his teaching per age group and definitely that level of intelligence. And again, I think it's more like when you get to that sort of older level of uh, when you're a bit older in high school, that's when you want, you're there for a reason, you're there because you want to be taught, and I think that's when you can bring the, the best out of each other, you bring the best out of the teacher, even the best out of your student. But again, with regards to the film, it's, also, it's a great performance. Um, for even, he's, again, it's kind of some, I'm not in the same category or the same level as Anthony Hopkins from last week with Silence of the Arms. But again, it's one of those uh, periods of time on screen. Obviously, it's more a film about the students and it is about uh, Robert Williams' character, but again, he still has such a major impact um, on these boys, this group of boys, that it needs to be acknowledged and it is a great, a great performance. And it is a good film as well, and it is definitely, I would put it in one of those. How do you sell it? But you need to watch it. Yeah, if someone hasn't seen it, I'm, 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 the suggestion is to come up, we'll watch it and watch. And if it was available, I'd put it on. Oh, that's a big... We don't say that often, eh? We don't say you can watch very often. That's a big recommendation for that. And I, and I think it's definitely a fair one because it's... I hadn't watched this and we discussed just off-stream before... Uh, before we, we we started recording and me and Daniel had been doing this little uh, watching Oscars things at the time. Um, and we were watching Oscar nominations, and this is one of the years that we had actually watched, before Movie Club even became a thing, Daniel, how funny. Um, and this was the same year that Driving, Driving Miss Daisy had Morgan Freeman nominated, and Daniel Day-Lewis was also the winner for My Left Foot. So it's actually a, a, like an incredibly strong year, because I remember I watched Dead Poets Society, then I watched Driving Miss Daisy, and then we decided to stop doing it before I watched My Left Foot, which I've not actually seen. Um, which is funny because uh, best actor in a supporting role at that point was Denzel for Glory, um, which is one that we've watched as part of the movie club. But I think for me, Rob- Robin Williams is excellent in this. And I always find watching Robin Williams movies is I don't ever feel like he's acting. I feel like he's just him. He's just enjoying himself and what he's doing. And in this movie, I... Like you're drawn into every scene that he's in on a subject I've got absolutely no interest in when it comes to poetry, but I'm going to watch it. I'm going to pay attention. To t- touch on your comment, you said about um, Ben asking that question about how we how we would do in our high school. And obviously, I, I went to a different high school from you guys, but I think it would obviously it would matter the subject. But the teacher would be welcomed with open arms, like someone that's. Mm-hmm. not playing by the rules essentially and I think that if you're in a boarding school environment anyway like that that jumped out massively like he's he's different from what the rules are and he's he's a little bit edgy in comparison to what everyone else is like um, there's a couple of scenes that put, jumped out into me that I really enjoyed this and I, I just watched this today so the scene in particular where he starts talking about what poetry is right and then you've got the wee ginger guy that's writing it all out word for word as he's getting told in the in, mm-hmm. in his book and then he immediately tells people rip it all out what a little shite express yourselves be yourself for me that was brilliant because it 
it hooks you in that he's just going to follow the process and they're that used to someone talking them through it step by step is what they would typically get. And then the reaction from the rest of the class getting buzzing, exciting about it was really, really good. And I thought it was really clever that they had them leave the room to go get the bin whilst the other teacher then intervened to like kick off about what are you guys doing at this point. Um, there's quite a few good actors in this. I actually forgot that Ethan Hawke was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, totally passed my mind, but he's actually proper solid in it. Um, I did chuckle when I seen uh, Neil's dad come on, scene, on the scene because that's uh, the bad guy in Robocop to me. That's just who that is. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> so to see him there as like a posh boy's dad, it threw me to start with. Um, and I don't know the guy's name, I'll find it in a little second, but the guy that is in the movie SWAT, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie SWAT. Um, mm-hmm. Years ago. SWAT with LL Cool He plays Knox Overstreet, his name is Josh Charles. He, he's basically a dickhead in the movie SWAT. Um, and he's in the movie Four Brothers as well, which is a movie I really like. So seeing him... And there was another guy that him, the two of them just looked the same. They had the exact same look. I was like, are these like playing off as yeah. brothers or twins? But it, they weren't. Um, yeah, this is such a good movie. It is, it's one of the, the very few movies that I'll put on and I'll give my attention to. Um, this was a no FM, no FIFA movie for me. I think that puts it in a high regard if, <laughs> if I'm not doing something different when I'm watching it. Um, but I was invested in each of the individual characters as well even the little meeks guy that's a little grass at the end who's like throwing everybody under the bus and giving away all the information i still liked him throughout it i think it's good to see the development of some people even though and i can never remember which one he is but the one that's uh, a wee sex pest that's like winching the lassie when she's sleeping it's a bit of a weird thing to watch nowadays Mm-hmm. I have comments about that as well. Do you know what though? Like, <laughs> she's she's drunk, she's sleeping, he's drunk, he kisses her, he gets caught and he gets levered. Fair play. You, you deserve it. But, no, but it's weird that he then wins her. I do yeah. think as well that it was, like, to me, sorry, I was going to mention this, but you've brought it up, Nikhil, is that it was, at that point, I was, I felt as if were they wanting you to want him to win her I, like, I was thinking well no I want her to stay with the guy that's whatever he's a football player whatever even though to me the film's maybe meant to portray the footballer I think he's some kind of sports guy as if he's meant to be the guy that's the bad guy portrayed as that the way I was picking up because obviously he's part of the society but then I was like the opposite because obviously he's the one that's like kissing her when obviously he's blazing and he has sort of made comments that he wasn't he doesn't drink before he doesn't usually drink and stuff, but then obviously kisses her when she's sleeping, and then then he just turns up at her school and whatever. And even his actions, I just thought he came across as a complete bellend. I thought. I think it's very it's very very typical American. It's the the jock's yeah. a bad guy. The, the the hot girls with the hot jock, and she uh-huh. should be. She should be with a guy who's a bit more sensitive, a bit more caring, a bit more loving. They've just went about it in quite a strange way. I think they could have done without that scene and have him just be maybe be a bit persistent and a bit different to what she's used to, and then she falls in love with him. He didn't really need the the seedy 
Sleeping Beauty style. Um, to me, I don't even need, the, I even need that romance angle. To me, I did none at the film. Like, it was just like a side point to the film. I was kind of like, well, is it going to go further for you? Because um, unless I miss her, they obviously go to watch the play together. And I think that's the last time you see them. They hold hands at that point, so I suppose that's me. Oh, well, what means it doesn't go any further than that in terms of you don't see her like in the scenes with him towards the end of the film or that. It's like, all right, they're together. But then as well, they just kind of gloss over the fact that it's done. They get together obviously so quickly. I just thought that it was just a pointless, pointless angle they went down. Okay, it was just something that... If we're talking about um, really creepy scenes in the whole movie, can we talk about the arse paddling? Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my apologies, I ripped off for a, a comfort break. My apologies, I, I ripped off for a comfort break. This Jack Daniels has gone through me. Uh, but I, 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 it was so weird to watch. Like It was one of those cringy moments when we watched like. And then he walks back off funny, but he gives poke a wink that he's like taking it like a man and he's dealing with it. They didn't need to worry. And then the wee ginger guy goes and throws him onto the bus anyway. So it was a bit uh, a bit, a bit, weird. But what I, what I wanted to bring up in that was, see the scene where they've got every, they, they get pulled in individually to the office to basically grasp on Robin Williams' character, right? Yeah. And... What for me is quite a quite a, an eye-opening part of it is these boys are what what age are they? 16, 17, 18-ish, roughly? Maybe a bit younger? Mm-hmm. Oh, 16, 17, early. Well, like, I've just got, because obviously they were drinking then, I thought maybe they were like 17, 18 or something. That was just... That was well, maybe they're 21 in America. I don't even know what it was in 1959, so... Aye, I, I just thought they were only 17, 18. I know, look, I, was, I was thinking in terms of they're not going to be younger than that, but maybe not. What I... Aye. So. The, what, what, the point I'm trying to make here is that how telling is it that you bring these super strict mums and dads into a room with a kid that's got his back in the corner and he has to just agree with what he's being told. That was it. He, they, uh-huh. they got told what happened and they had to sign a bit of paper to save their own arse. But the pressure coming from the mum and dad to make sure that they got that done is actually quite a big eye-opening thing, especially when you think about, like, having kids and stuff as well that you actually can influence it really dramatically like he they inf- they were influencing to saying that he caused a suicide <laughs> like the reality is that he didn't he, the dad was more at fault than Robin yeah. Williams um, I think it's not Kyle Tadden what you're saying is like obviously this is after the boys committed suicide but it adds into the impact that his father was having on him not obviously to the same extent but in terms of how he's committed suicide because of his father mm-hmm. and then even after that you're actually seeing how as, you, as you're pointing out how much influence the parents have on them so you can actually add in and see how even though he's dead by that point you can see how what, how massive an impact they do have and mm-hmm. as well when he did commit, commit suicide it was you could act, it wasn't just that it came out for nowhere. The film did a really good way of portraying like his emotion and how he was feeling. Like he was really struggling. It wasn't as if you didn't. I don't think I saw it coming, 
but you could actually understand why it happened. Yeah. And then obviously, even after it, you could actually still feel the impact that the parents can have instead of instead of instead of instead of being bossed, not the teacher's fault at all. Well, what does he keep going? What I was saying, away, I didn't know he was going to kill himself because when he walked, when his dad had woke up and walked down, I'm sure there was like a, a, the letter or the envelope on the table before he'd seen the gun. I thought he'd just been a runner. I never expected him to kill himself at all. Mm-hmm. I am the same. I, I, it, it took me by surprise because maybe opposite to Burnsy, I didn't feel a build up towards it. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, right? Fucking, this is posh cunts with posh cunt issues. Like, I mean, da- daddy wants me to be a doctor. Daddy won't let me be the star of the play. I'm going to kill myself. Like, I don't know, it doesn't resonate with me that bit, to be honest. Right, yeah, posh cunts with posh cunt issues is the name of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> posh cunts with posh cunt issues. Right, <laughs> <Aye. Aye>, <laughs> But it's it's quite it's quite like a an emotional part to a sense because he he actually like the dad's living his life vicariously through his son like you will do yeah. what I say how I say and you'll do it with it like with no negotiation like he's just been there and watched his son get a standing ovation for his acting performance on play and still huckle mm-hmm. him by the ear and flung him in a car basically mm-hmm. telling everyone else to fuck off. It's actually mad how like there's no. Because that wasn't what he wanted, that he was spitting the dummy out and that was it. Like, there was no negotiation on there. I've given up this for you to do this. I think as well, Kyle, I think it's mentioned at one point in the film, I don't think, I don't think it's mentioned what he does for his own job, unless I've missed it, but he, he makes a comment saying, like, I've worked so hard so that you can actually do this job. So it's that, like you say, he is living vicariously through his son and he actually makes a point that, being that blatant about it and saying you're not doing this because I'm I'm the only reason I've worked so hard to put you to this place is because you're going to do what I say. Um, but I thought it was I thought it was really good in terms in terms of that the acting was um, really good. Fight obviously Rob Mullins was class, um, but all the younger actors and everyone were were also good in terms of the ones that um, the ginger boy who you're who obviously defends he's the one that ends up getting punched by one of the members of the poet society is is that you were obviously supposed to sort of dislike him and then that's what I picked up anyway and it did even though it was quite subtle at points because um, he obviously is sort of friends with them but um, the only thing that I did struggle with was is that there was it was kind of it was there was like quite a few um, students that the film was based around instead of just concentrating on the one I think it would have worked better for me if it was just based on one student and um, Robin Williams' character instead of being around two or three of them. Um, so I kind of wanted it maybe to be more based on um, Neil Perry's character, for instance, um, instead of being a wee bit in between of going going from student to student. But out with that, I thought it was um, it was really good. I don't think it was on, I don't think it was as good as Whiplash, but it wasn't far off that for me. Well, I, <laughs> uh, I find it really boring if I'm completely honest with you I'm sorry to bring the tone down um, but I did find it really really boring I completely agree with what Bundy said there uh, I was getting a bit confused as to who was who for the film I thought they all kind of looked relatively quite kind of similar like just kind of posh boy, tough, Tory look in an American sense 
Uh, and I was kind of struggling to just kind of keep up with all the, the, the different school kids, as you would call them. But unless Roman Williams was in the screen, I, I just kind of found my mind drifting off. Uh, I don't know. I thought I wouldn't be alone in this. You obviously seem to really enjoy it, but uh, I was quite kind of bored throughout. So I, I, I just felt that like I, I, I didn't really see where it was going. Uh, and until obviously when we got to the end, it was more like when the play when his dad came to the play. But I was also confused because his dad had said, when he went into the room and his dad was sitting there saying, eh, under no circumstances are you going to be doing that play. Eh, and then the next, the next scene he spoke to Robin Williams and he says you need to speak to your dad. And then, he doesn't, unless I've missed it, he doesn't show he's talking to his dad to say, again, no, no. I'm going to do the play. Aye, so like, I, I, I'm not really sure why they never kept that because it, it was quite a big part towards the last half of the story anyway. But... I think they loosely touched it and say that his dad's away in business, but I don't know. If, but I don't know what the time scale is whether he's already left in business because when he when he does do the play, he's shocked to see him there because he's not actually meant to be in the country. But I don't know if I can't remember off the top of my head whether right. like a big gap in the film or it is like literally the next scene. So maybe that's what they were. Why they didn't have that bit, but I'm not sure. Uh, no, I mean, like, it's, it's just isn't really my kind of film, uh, and I feel like I'm saying this quite a lot, I feel like a total idiot on the phone here, and we watch these films, and I'm saying, oh, it was not for me, but it's just, I don't know, I just feel myself drifting, I was quite bored watching it, uh, and it's nothing, it's nothing bad against the film, uh, there was great actors in it, Robin Williams was brilliant in it, and it's, the range of his acting is just ridiculous, I, I always kind of associate him with, being a, a silly idiot in films like Mrs. Doubtfire and like, there's a few other ones but then when you look at this uh, one hour photo as well which I would love to watch in here because yeah. range of acting is just yeah. absolutely amazing uh, and it's a shame obviously what happened to him as well but I, I, unless he was on the screen I just kind of found myself drifting off uh, if I'm completely honest I just found really really bored through it I didn't care about anybody at all, and apart from Roman Williams, I did not give a fuck about any of the wee posh boy problems. I didn't care about the dad for that 70s show. I didn't care about any of them at all, and the interest in, in their, their fucking, their so-called issues that they were having. Like, I mean, their parents have paid thousands or however much money it is to go through the school, blah, blah, blah. Shame, you can't go and act in a fucking play. You know what I mean? Who cares? I have no interest in it at all. See if it was like a scheme, I'd have a lot more interest in it. Like when me and Laurie were away to the cabin, we watched Neds. We took DVDs with us because there was a DVD. We watched Neds. Oh, Neds that's, is that's, that's real life problems there. <laughs> I, thought watched, I thought you were just going to tell us you were watching Neds going about the caravan set and then you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you watched Neds live action movie, live action inside the caravan. You can tell us it's one of all these things on if you want to see real young people go through school uh, and have issues where they're teaching, getting the belt, whatever, and issues outside the school, go and watch Neds. That's real life. This is just fucking rich, rich people issues. Give me time for. Well, listen, uh, Sean, I think the, the six people that downloaded our podcast in Argentina might not be able to relate to the Neds of Scotland. Um, they might be able to relate a little bit more to the posh kids of America, but I get what you're saying. It is... No one in Argentina, no one in a country that's probably worse than here. <laughs> <laughs> it's poverty and schemes. But no, I was trying to find a way to drop in with six fucking downloads in Argentina. Give me a break, man. <laughs> 
I suppose I'll carry on. Maybe that goes me for them, maybe they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've just deleted their downloads and they don't have our thanks for that. Aye, just to carry on with what Sean was saying, uh, I totally agree with what he said, to be honest. I didn't find it boring, right? So, do you know what's weird, right? I've wrote down a two scores for this. One of them's below a two and one of them's above a four. <laughs> and I still, still don't know what I think about this film. Um, Somewhere in the middle. This is my biggest issue with this film is that I cannot relate to anybody in it. I don't have any empathy for anyone. I don't really care about anyone. Uh, much like Sean said, it's rich people with rich people problems, and it's hard for me to care about any of them because I dislike all of them. They're all wee annoying cunts. Every single one of them. And I would even include. Robin Williams' character in that. Uh, now, Robin Williams, his performance is amazing, and he's like a really captivating guy, but like, this posh cunt teacher that's like, trying to go against the grain, but, well, why the fuck are you taking a job in a private boarding school then? Go and fucking really teach people or go and be a poet or something, do you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, what's he taught them to rebel against society a little bit and be your own person, but ultimately, you could be like me and end up back here where you fucking started. So like, the overall message it was trying to give the kids didn't really resonate with me. Um, I, I still don't quite understand what he was trying to achieve, apart from to make them be a bit less fucking boring and to be a bit more interesting. I don't know. It's, it's good, though, right? So I'm sitting down in my note here, strangely captivating, right? Because much like you say, Kyle, like, I, I never took my eyes away from this. Yeah. I, I, did, I did grab my attention the full time, but, like, as soon as it finished, I just felt fucking empty. I mean, I like, I don't know. The guy killing himself. I'm. We've seen this before, like about emotional points in movies. Right? I'm quite. I quite like something that's going to really hit me emotionally or maybe make me have a wee tear come to my eye and stuff like that. And a main character killing themselves towards the end of a movie should do that to me. Um, and earlier on in that scene, Sean was saying he didn't realise he killed himself. Um. I never saw it coming up until the point that he went and opened his window. I thought he was going to jump out the window. Mm-hmm. That's coming. Yeah. Um, but then when he didn't jump out the window, then I was like, oh, he's not going to kill himself. And then, obviously, fucking did. Uh, I don't know. I'm still really unsure about whether I like this or not, which is annoying. It's been annoying me for two days. One of the events Most- that I find, sorry to interrupt, more, more emotional than that was obviously the ending scene where they all jump on their desks like yeah did nothing for me honestly I know that that's the big what I found was the part of that is like and I get that it's obviously planned out this way that um, Ethan Hawke's character is so scared to talk up and speak out and he's the first one to do it and he's the one that they show you in the principal's office showing a little bit of a I'm not sure about what you're asking me to do or sign, but I've, I've been forced into it. And he's rebelling against that at that point. And then he jumps on his table and they say, the old captain, my captain. Um, for me, that was a bit more emotionally invested in it than the guy killing himself. The only bit that annoyed me about that was it was precisely half the class that stood up on the day- tables. The rest of them never bothered. So you don't really sitting facing forward. It was really weird that they were after that. Yeah, as I think they'd be standing on their desk. I think it was supposed to be. I, I tried now sometimes. We've been doing this for a long time. So I figured out what the 
filmmaker were trying to get you to understand at that point. And I think it was just that the rest of them are just conforming. Yeah. Completely. So the visual representation of that is them sitting, staring ahead, not even looking at the guys up on their desks or anything like that because they're fucking in the system and they're part of this fucking forced school system and they're never going to go against the grade. Um, ultimately, if they were going to stand up for themselves, do it before the fucking teacher gets sacked. Like, yeah. And to me, it should have been about standing up to your parents. This film left me empty, I think, because none of them stood up to their fucking mom and dad by then. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole scene, whoever made this movie, and I'm just making a wild assumption here, right? There's a posh cunt with a fucking overbearing dad. And this is someone putting their life out on screen, right? And for, it's, it's good in a sense, right? Because there was a moment that was mentioned earlier on where you expect things to go a certain way, they don't. Right? And it does that quite a few times in this film where you've got certain expectations where when the dad turns up to the play in 99.9% of the movies, at that moment where he's standing at the back of the hall and the wee guy kneels, like, through his monologue through his dad and looking at him, that's where the dad turns out and goes, oh, son, it was me that's been incorrect the whole time and mm-hmm. I should have been listening to you. But he doesn't, like you said, he just huckles him home. And then Neil gets a chance to stand up for himself. And instead of just standing up for himself to his dad, he kills himself, right? And to me, that's who fucking dramatic a swing for me to buy into. It. I mean, like, he's not being abused. He's no just fucking leave. You're 18 years old or whatever. Just fuck off. Hmm. Like, you don't need you don't need to be taking that for your mom. Like, and this is where I, I, I still don't quite understand what the ending was supposed to symbolise. I mean, it's okay to the bell, but not not enough to make a difference. I mean, like, you can make a symbolic stand, but when it comes to it and you get taken down to actually stand up for yourself, don't do it. I mean, it's maybe a bit weird. But I'm getting all over this, like, but I do like Ethan Hawke. I think Ethan Hawke's amazing in this. I believe, see, too many folk with stutters in movies have, like, a really obvious stutter, Right. Hmm. And it just becomes almost comical. But see his little hesitations at the start of all these sentences and all that it was amazing, man. Because Ethan Hawke later on in his career is a bitch shit. And it's really disappointing when you go back and see this to see what he could because I think his performance is brilliant. But much like Sean said, the rest of them all just merge into one big posh cunt to me. They're all just the same. And the guy that's like the sex pest and the main guy and are very, very much the same person to me. And I think there's a third guy. So there's Neil, there's a sex pest. And then, is the sex pest the same guy that got paddled in the arse? I get, so this is a bit where I get confused because no, me, that's, look, look, that's Charlie. Is that no Charlie, sorry? So Charlie and Knox look identical to each other. Same haircut, they same do. height, same face. So that I struggled with that because I recognise one of them is, uh, is Josh Charles who plays Knox the other guy, Charlie, they just looked the same. So it was hard when it came on the screen of who was who. Yeah, I found it really hard to separate because even their personalities were fairly similar. They were the only two that were kind of interested in birds or like being a... Because... Yeah, mm-hmm. So that's... The, like, the, the two birds back to the cave, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, was a, he was a pest as well, actually. I completely forgot about that yeah. scene. I think, so just to interrupt what you were saying, Daniel, it's like, I think... Like I've when I was giving my review, is it looks like 
It's still going to be a decent score, but I think like you're also saying you're shut over and think you're sort of probably going to get a better score than what you're going to get back. Whereas I was sort of praising the film all the way through, but at the same time, I'd like my score's probably going to reflect that too. Like, I was going to just add on, you made a comment about how I think I just won it wrong in terms of, I didn't, in terms of suicide, I didn't think he was going to, I don't, I don't, I didn't expect him to actually kill himself, but I expect him to like either leave or kill himself or something. It wasn't as if it just came out of nowhere in terms of thinking, oh shit, he's just like, he's not got any reason to understand, or even he can't get inside his mind to think how he's going to kill himself. It was more just the fact I could actually see it, see his emotions building and being, his dad was just sucked that much a cunt towards him that you could, you could actually feel it happening. Um, but I, it was, it was. I thought it was, and I also as like Sean has said, I thought it was maybe just me because at the start I was struggling with it a wee bit in terms of to keep invested through it, and then as the phone got further and further in, I enjoyed it more, and I actually thought the same in terms of the. I was getting confused a wee bit with the actors, but I thought it was just because at the start I was, I wasn't hundred percent paying attention to that. Um, and then once you sort of got understood the characters more, then you were able to sort of figure out who was who, just with how their actions were, I thought. I, I did start to pick it up later on. Um, I think it's just the general little posh schoolboy. They're all very similar. I mean, it's mm-hmm. posh schoolboy one who's in love with a girl, posh schoolboy two who's a pervert, posh schoolboy three who doesn't like speaking in front of class. Like, they were just interchangeable sort of guys and I don't know man like I think see if you grow up like I won't, I won't mention names of folk in this group but like see if you grow <laughs> up with a hard life like especially when it comes to shit that you can go through with your parents and all that right getting told you need to go to Harvard is just that's where I disconnect it's, it's not relatable to me I think this is only relatable and it's a much like marriage story right I had the same mission with marriage story that you're supposed to have this deep emotional connection with the characters, but ultimately they're so their lives are so far away for anything yeah. that I can relate to that I find it difficult. But it is a good film, right? That's what's hard about this. I understand why people like this. I really do. Um, I understand why people could even give it fucking fours and fives out of five because it's well acted, it's well made, it's a good movie. And I'd imagine if you grew up and went to one of these schools and you went to Harvard and you, or you grew up in overbearing parents that really wanted you to succeed then I would maybe you'd maybe relate to it a bit more um, if you're if you're if you're daggering up just fucking didn't give a fuck then it's different you know what I mean so I don't know but uh, I'm leaning more towards Sean and I'm glad that uh, we've, I've got to speak out because now I've decided between my scores <laughs> <laughs> well if it, Hunter I'm sure you've got some trivia to add into this one I do indeed yes uh, so at the premiere so uh, Kirkwood Smith who played uh, Neil's dad uh, saw a family um, with a very similar domineering father so after the film finished um, he noticed that the family um, leaving the cinema and the dad was actually crying, so he must have realised the similar traits between himself and the character. Um, Robin Williams considered this one of his favourite films he's ever made, and uh, Peter Weir, Paul Weir, I can't remember, it's Pete Weir and Robert written down as his favourite director. So Liam Neeson was originally meant to play the role of uh, Keating, but because there was a director change that ended up, uh, Robin Williams was cast as uh, Keating rather than Liam Neeson. Um, 
was a bit so, of death so on there, there's a big character from Dick Cayley who plays uh, Hopkins so when we're doing the line the scene sorry where they're picking a football the, 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 the most 11 collective worst sticks of a football I think I've ever seen <laughs> out with my United face I've had done on Saturday or the boys playing 10 plus Oh god! Every one of those so shots point, was uh, back to five. <laughs> this point, he kicks a football, and the lovers are lying. The cat sat on a mat, and he was a student at the school at the time where they made the film. And he, due to filming that one scene, made more than any other teacher in the school that year for doing one scene. Fuck's sake, man! And he was an extra. <laughs> um, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck both auditioned for roles. Unknown roles in the movie and never got them. That's not inspired that to go and make as well, which is much better. Yeah. Um, it was the first Touchstone Pictures that released to get a Best Picture nomination for the Oscars. And it was also the only Best Picture nomination that year that also got a nomination for Best Screenplay. Um, so, and also on the original script, Keating was meant to die of leukemia rather than get sacked for causing the death of a student, but it was then scripted. They changed the script so that the film would then more focused on the students rather than Keating himself as the main character. It was he was then just a bit part, whereas it was all the students. And uh, also Neil's death is foreshadowed earlier on in the film because when his uh, Robert Williams character is doing the, the first one, of the first couple of speeches with the students. Where he says, um, you're just going to shrivel up, turn cold and die. So when he says that, the camera's actually on Neil at that point in time during the film. Didn't even clock. Didn't even clock. I'm just looking at some of the the best pictures uh, nominations from that year. Like, seems like some year, because the winner was Driving Miss Daisy. You've obviously got Dead Poet Society, My Left Foot, Field of Dreams, which is another one, Daniel, that I watched that week that we were watching these movies. Um, and the born on the fourth of July, which is one that I never watched. So it seems like a really strong year. Depends if you class this as strong or not. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> see you in a minute. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll all see you in a minute, and we're going to kick off with uh, the first half of Dunter. Hunter. Aye, so I now know that we're going to have very contrasting views going by Daniel's last night. <laughs> However. I do take on board what he said. There is something missing. It's not, it's still a very, very, very good film, but it's not in that 45 category for me. That 45 is up there for the elite. This is very good and would highly recommend it, but it's not in that level for me. That said, it's getting 3.75 out of 5. 3.75. I had the number 3 typed as soon as you started talking. Daniel, I've got the number 2 typed. What am I putting after it? Uh, I've, I've talked myself into the score of a two. A just a I was a 1.75, but I've, I've given it a two. Bonzi? Um, I'm giving it a 3.25, um, which is 0.5 lower than what I scored in um, Whiplash. Interesting. I can't remember what I scored Whiplash, but this is getting a solid four for me. Um, I can tell. I was actually on that. If you want to know, did you give Whiplash? I, I'd imagine you give Whiplash higher. You gave it a four point five. Yeah, I would still give Whiplash higher than this, but thoroughly enjoy this film. Four for me. Um, Mister Excitement himself, Sean. Yeah, one point seven five for me. 
been a week a week in movie you've, you've just hated Sean, isn't it? Uh, no. I know. Back to the Hopefully next week's will be better for me. Well, we'll get on to the next wheel spin shortly for the week for the for the time after. Um, Burnsy, what does that give us overall for this one? Overall, that's a two point nine five. A two point nine five. Any predictions in the movies that this will be alongside? What did I get? A two point nine five. Two point nine five. I'll be in fairly highly esteemed company. What's that? About thirty, forty odd. Yeah, just two point nine five. Brings it joint 58th with one of the most underrated movies I've got on the list of The Wanderers. So it puts it at 0.5 above Don't Look Out, Don't Look Out, Don't Look Up. Um, <laughs> and it puts it, puts it at 0.1 below Planet of the Apes, which was obviously highly influenced by Ben's vote at that point. Planet of the Apes is worse than this. But other movies in the yeah. in the up and down from it are like District Nine, Heat is above it, below it we've got Bridesmaid, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and Into the Wild. Um, so yeah, a two point nine five for Dead Poet Society. So that recaps the movies that we have watched for this week. Uh, Reservoir Dogs two point four, um, Dead Poet Society two point nine five. Quite close when it comes to the scoring overall but quite varied in the scoring between us, which I always find dead interesting. So, curate yeah. abuse when it comes to Instagram, getting to see those uh, those figures. Um, as we touched on, guys, we are not streaming next week. Uh, one of us has gone under the knife, so we'll be unable to speak and appear at all uh, on the stream that day. So that'll be postponed until the 28th. Um, Please keep an eye on Instagram itself to see which movies that we will be watching. We have um, behind the scenes selected the actresses that will be going up onto the the voting as well as the movies. So keep an eye on that to be involved. Again, that's at Morons Reviewing Movies on Instagram. What I'm going to do now in the background is we're just going to spin the wheel to see what is going to be for the next additional uh, recording for voting, um, so that is coming up now. I would ask his predictions, but there's shitloads on the list itself, so there's no point even guessing. Um, Daniel, we have non-MCU comic movies. We've got MCU, non-MCU comic book movies? Non-MCU superhero slash comic movies. Oh. Superman, baby! I am buzzing for this. There we go. I'm looking forward to this, actually. I think I'll enjoy these. I think these are out with my comfort zone. Now, if it was up to me, I would also like to keep DC out of the way as well and make these all non-traditional comic book movies. But it's not on the wheel. (laughs) In fact, oh, I've just had a thought. When would we be watching these? The Batman release at the cinema. We could go and see the Batman at the cinema. March 4th that comes out, so we'll be streaming this on March 7th. Oh, there we go. That's oh. one movie decided. <laughs> so we have to include so, DC. Right, that's a DC one done, and we'll have a non-DC side. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> What's your thoughts on that, Sean? Go then. I just don't want to watch another fucking Batman or Superman, but we'll see. I like watch. I like watch Superman uh, two. No, sorry, Superman three. Just to uh, just, just to put it out there, mate. This this may quash the thoughts and feelings in that. If we are going to obviously add in DC, we will have to add in Zack Snyder's Justice League. Well, no, we don't, because that wasn't actually a part of the DC EU anyway. Right? Well, it is. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> we might have the... You can go back and watch it yourself. Guys, if no, we... Just uh, I always say that I won't watch it, and I will never voluntarily watch it, but if it comes up, there's a bit. I can't wait to shite all over that and give it a zero. <laughs> Zack Snyder's Justice League a zero alongside Zulu Dawn yeah <laughs> and I, I'd give it a five just to piss you off that it'd be right up there in the ratings as well <laughs> look at my zero um, negate all of that so it doesn't matter I'd imagine it might get four zeros plus your five four zeros <laughs> plus my five well guys uh, we will take this uh, debate and argument offline about what it is because obviously we don't typically argue about movies or selections or choices or whatever you want to say do we guys no not at all not at all it's just a week solid of us hating each other in a group chat to then come on board and talk to each other <laughs> all pleasantly because me Hunter and Sean get on fine <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is is Daniel Daniel the way I see it is well, I'm I'm Robin Williams from Dead Poets Society and Daniel's a headmaster, eh? We must conform or not it or not else. Uh the bar say your main thing is about weird zoos that we made up that we have to then follow. So like you've just totally contradicted yourself. But also right, uh we had an argument this week almost, right? Which started off with you saying that I'm no arguing about it. Now <laughs> What you've taken that as me saying I'm no arguing with it as in so guys that's the end of tonight's podcast (laughs) Um, this will be released for all all to listen to thanks very much for for being there uh, and have a good night I bid you morons farewell see you later